So me and Danny are, are driving in Washington Heights one summer, and I see this guy, and the guy walks by my car, and he gives me a look. And I tell Danny, man, that guy, that kid looks so freaking weird, man. He looks like a fucking rapist. Like, Danny goes, what do you say? Like, something about him, man. And then later on, driving around the 3-4, I see the same kid again, and he looks at me again. I go, man, that, something about that kid, man. He looks like a fucking rapist. So now we have a big, pa the pattern's going on. Now what happens is they, they hit a home in... Um, Washington Heights, and they and they rape two young Jewish girls. One guy uses the phone; he leaves a fingerprint on that phone, and they get a hit on him, and they arrest him, they bring him in, and now they get the whole team that's doing the, the rapes and robberies come in. They haven't won the precinct, and when I come into work that day at four o'clock, I sit at my desk, I look into my office, into the it's him, right? interrogation room. Who's there? The perp that I saw on the street. I go, fucking Danny, that's the guy that I seen before on the street. I see him twice. So then I got I got involved in doing the interrogation with him. So when I sit down with him, I go, so what do your victims look? like he goes they look like you all right we're back we're back for part two with our amazing guest irma rivera miss homicide i like it man it's so cool <laughs> how cool. often do you get miss homicide oh, to get interview geez. her let's start let's jump right in now because you have so many interesting cases um bill has a, a few cases that he wanted to bring up that are they're really interesting bill yeah, uh, Irma, if you had to say what was your uh, most spectacular case in Special Victims, what would you say? Um, the Joe Steinberg case. Joel Steinberg. Well, let go into that because, I mean, obviously people our age, we know what that was. Joel Steinberg, Head and Nussbaum. It, that invented the term battered woman syndrome, right? And also that, that opened up the doors for child abuse cases to be investigated, you know, right. more. You know, um, Joel Steinberg was, uh, Lisa Steinberg was, uh, I believe she was like seven years old or maybe eight years old. I don't remember how old she was. And she was a young girl who came, went into St. Vincent's Hospital um, with a head trauma, and she wound up dying. And the person who killed her was her adopted father that he adopted her illegally. You know, he was a lawyer. Who and, brought her to the hospital? Um, um, EMS brought her to the hospital. And this was in the confines of the 6th Precinct, Sixth Precinct, right? 10th Street, the very report, affluent block. The report came over. Who called it in? Uh, the hospital called it in as a girl who came into the hospital no, with a head the, trauma. But somebody must have brought her in, right? The mother called no, them? I, I think the father. I'm not sure who called 911. I believe it was the father who called 911. You know, she passed out. You know, uh, she had a head trauma, but um, she had a, a hematoma in her head. And she came in to St. Vincent's Hospital. We got it as a child abuse case. But How we, old was she? I, I believe she was like seven or eight. But I, she was I, severely underweight, too, as I recall, right? Um, I'm not, I don't remember that. I, don't I remember her, that. I don't remember her, her being underweight. I just remember that she was. Um, she had um, trauma to her head. I remember going to the emergency room, seeing the, how dirty her feet were, going to the hospital and asking where the parents were, and the parents were nowhere to be found, which I found kind of unusual. That's true. That's, that is unusual. So from there, we went, I went to um, her house where she lived on 10th Street. And when I knocked on the door, the first person who opened the door was Joe Steinberg. Mm -hmm. um, real creepy guy. He, <laughs> he was, was an attorney he also, was an attorney. Right? Where, where are they living in? in the 60s? 10th Street between um, 6th Avenue and 5th Avenue. Nice neighborhood. Very affluent block. That's an affluent block, right. very much right. so. Yeah. So he's a lawyer. He's making money, right? Yeah, his apartment was a freaking disgusting disgrace. His apartment was so dirty. Um, there was a little boy in the apartment. Um, later on, we found out that he was also illegally adopted. And um, he was, like, tied up to a, a crib, really <laughs> filthy, dirty. Um, and then when I, you say illegally adopted. It was an adoption that was done, like, the girl gave birth at the hospital. It was arranged with another doctor, and the kid was handed off to his family. 
Okay. It was illegal. The and they did that twice with yeah. the girl. So they had two kids there. Yeah, the girl, the, the the biological mother of the little boy has him now. He's he's an adult by now. He's like probably in his thirties. Um, so when Joe Steinberg eventually led us into the apartment, um, how did he answer the door? Like, really snobby, like was telling he surprised us, that you were there? Or? Um, he, I told him he had to come to the hospital with us. He says I need to take a shower. I go, your daughter's in the hospital. You know, she's um, like, you know, likely she has bad injuries. Um, we need you to come with us. I need to take a shower. I need to shave. I need to eat. You know, he made all these different excuses. I didn't understand that. He had a big problem with me. He didn't like me from the beginning, you know. Did um, he tell you, did he threaten you that he was an attorney? Oh, of course. He of told course. us he was an attorney. And I, and I actually said to him, so I don't powerful. care. Yeah, I'm an attorney. I don't care who you are. Your daughter's in the hospital. You need to come with us, you know. So then he eventually they let us into the apartment. And because, you know, we kind of were a little bit pushy. So we got into the apartment. We're sitting around. The sergeant comes. Everybody comes. We're all standing there. All of a sudden, Heather Newsbaum comes out of the back of the room. I could not believe what she looked like. I mean, she looked like she had been beaten up for years. Her whole face was all cut up. Broken I mean, nose. And I just, always remember the picture of her oh face on the newspaper. Her nose was so the way she looked broken I, up. I couldn't believe how she looked. And when she came out, I couldn't, I couldn't hide my facial expressions. I was like, I was making faces. Like, I couldn't believe. And he's looking at me. He's looking at everybody. Did you lock him up right then? No, no. He's, no, he's, look, he's looking at me, you know. Um, so, so then eventually we wound up leaving the apartment, you know, child help, um, ACS came, they took the baby. We all That's wound up. the administration of children's services. Right. It was, the it civilians, was, it was, yes. it was, um, CW, what was it before? Child Welfare Association? Yes, CW, yeah. How old was, was the little boy again? BCW. BCW. He was, um, the baby was maybe about nine months old, eight months old. He oh, was, the little a, boy. was an infant. Yeah. He was, he was in diapers still. Um, he, he was standing already, so he, maybe like nine months, I would say he was. So we left the precinct, and we went, we went, we left the house, and we went to the precinct, and that's when everything just unfolded. Um, first of all, before we left the apartment, when we were leaving the apartment, Joe Steinberg is standing behind he behind Hedda, and she's locking the door, and I see him look at her head, and you can see all these cuts on her head, oh, and he tells her, why don't you go inside and put a handkerchief on your head? So she goes in and puts on a kerchief, and I say to him, What's wrong? You don't want to see all the cuts and bruises on her head? As I made a snotty remark right. to him. So now when it's time to leave, you know, he want, he's like holding on to her, like acting like he's so lovey-dovey with her. You could tell that she's enjoying the attention that she's getting. And then we separated them. And then, you know, everybody went to the precinct. Well, when you say you separated them, that means you took Joel. Where did she go? In a different car. But she went to the precinct she, as well. They both went to the precinct in different cars. So you separated them so they couldn't get their stories straight. Right. And also just because um, because um, that's just the way it was, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, the sergeants were there. Everybody was there. It's not, just, it's, not, it's not like it was my idea. It was just like a natural thing to do that sure. you separate them. So um, we went to the precinct. Now, at the precinct, a lot of stuff happened in the precinct, but... The one thing that happened at the precinct was we did a video of Heather Newsbaum that sold over the news. That was that became a national story. That oh video God. played on every TV station. Man, it hurt me when I saw that lady. Yeah. I cannot believe what her legs looked like. Her legs were so ulcerated. They were so red and, 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 and infected. You know, she was so bruised. She had bruises all over her body, like her back. As a matter of fact, when you, when you watch that video on TV, it's very silent. But if, you, if the volume was on it when they were recording it, the guy who was recording that video, he kept saying... 
oh my God. Oh my God. Like the guy who to see actually, her injuries. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she, cause she had so many, I mean, she was so close to dying and the apartment had an abortion machine in the apartment. The what? apartment yeah. I mean, I, mean found, I found out it was an abortion machine. Someone in the, what did it look like? I don't remember, but I know it was an abortion machine. That's why I was told that it was, um, there was spoiled milk dirt. It was just a dirty place. I couldn't believe so, that. You know what I'm interested in when you get, obviously you're documenting her injuries mm-hmm. because at some point you're going to start interviewing Joel, right? Not and me. I, I didn't. Inter- I didn't get involved in the interview. You were the involved in the no, interview because it was going to turn into a homicide. So now the six okay, right. It's going to be. Over. It's going to be a homicide case. Yeah. But when when he starts getting interviewed, does he lawyer up? Oh yeah, of course. So he invokes counsel immediately. Yeah, he didn't, so, he didn't speak to anybody. It's, it's made a decision is made probably by the DA's office to make Heather a witness. Not, not right away. She didn't want to be a witness. She got arrested also the first she got, day. She got arrested yeah, too. She wouldn't, oh she wouldn't testify at all against him at that point. And he was acting so loving with her that day. It was like so fake, you know, and you could mm-hmm. tell that she was, you know, she was liking the fact that she was getting attention from him. So, yeah, but she, she got arrested. Right. It took, it took work. It took, um, I forgot the detective's name, Angela. She works in the... She works working in the Manhattan DA's office. She was a sex crimes detective. I forgot her last name. She was a really good a model. She was actually a very, very good detective. Uh-huh. You know, um, and she was in sex crimes before I got now, there. No, I mean, basically, she was somewhat culpable. But when you saw how she was beaten, it I, made her. I, I didn't. I didn't. I felt that she was a victim. She was a victim right. because she, that was the first real bad and women syndrome. Almost like you know, they talk about Stockholm syndrome, right. where you identify with your captor. Right. She was being beaten into submission, and she couldn't even think clearly. Yeah about what is what's going on with the kids, right? Right. And remember years ago, like, you know, there was no such thing really as domestic violence. I mean, the guy would be thrown out of the, out of the apartment right. and he would go back. You know, I remember being on patrol one time. We had a guy who beat his wife and one of the, the cops that I was with, I remember basically pushing the guy down the steps from the 12th floor way down. And he deserved it. Like when yeah. I think about it now, he definitely deserved it. Cause back then there was really no punishment for that. Sure, sure. You know, you beat up your wife and just get away with it. Was this a doorman building? No, it was a walk up. And the neighbors didn't suspect anything? The school, well, the school did. I mean, I mean, she had chunks of hair missing out of her hair, Lisa Steinberg. I mean, she had a big chunk of her hair pulled out. Did the school report it? No, back then nothing there was, was no reported. Mandatory there was no reporting. mandatory reporting. This case then. changed a lot of, of things. Yeah, it did change a lot. And it's all, it also changed a lot for me also. Like, you know, when I first had that case. Um, How long were you in special victims before you caught this case? Uh, maybe like a year and a half. Two, not too wow, long. Wow, welcome to special. Victims, yeah, not huh? too long. But I remember crying so much at her funeral. I couldn't stop crying. And Chief Rosenthal telling me, I don't think that you should be able, you're going to be able to work in sex crimes. I go, oh. no, I can definitely do it. <laughs> I can do it. You know, because it was the first time I seen a kid die, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I've seen people die, but I never had seen a, a young kid, child yeah. like that, especially at the hands of someone, you know. And he was so father. cold, right? He didn't. Uh, he was so nasty. Yeah. He was so like, you know. I mean, he, rem- he I, one of his quotes, I think, was, oh, she'll never be a professional gymnast, uh, right? He said something no, like that. To me, no, no, what he said, no, what he said to me was, um, at one point he said to me, um, um, officer, uh, he goes, oh, I see you're not even a detective yet. He made oh, a comment man. like that to me. And I goes, okay, you're a prisoner. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah but he, he, he didn't like me because he was a little bit chauvinistic. Yeah, you know, sure. he really had a problem with women, you yeah. know, and stuff. He, he, he hated me. That was a great me. line, though. He hated me. Oh, yeah, I could be nasty, excellent, too. Excellent. That's one thing about me. I could be really nice, but I have a, a real mean, evil Side to so me. what did he say? Latina. <laughs> I love that. Can you do that again? What does Kali B do? What did he say? 
Um, the statement he made to you that was... Oh, about about saying um, you, you, you're not even a detective No, no, yet. not that. About what, remember I said something about she'll never be a professional. I don't, rem- that I don't oh, remember that. He, like, he, wanted, he inquired about how she was oh, no. in the hospital. I don't, that I don't okay, remember. Okay, I it maybe read that me. somewhere. It might have not been he said, me. said, oh, she'll never be a professional gymnast, but she's going to be okay, right? Yeah, that wasn't, you know? that wasn't to me. That yeah. was been to somebody okay. else. Was he talking about the daughter? Or yes, was the daughter about? who he had, uh, you know, beaten to death, basically. Yeah. You know? Poor was he crazy? Arrogant, I mean, obviously. Arrogant. I think he was a, dr- a junkie. I think he was oh, on, really? on cocaine or something. I think he yeah. was using drugs. It was freebasing and stuff. Something, probably, yeah. yeah. Abusive, you know, typical, you know, typical. And, it must and, have been a hell of a narcissistic How long did it take for that uh, case to go to trial? I don't remember. I think maybe a year, year yeah, and a half. I don't remember. It was in the news all the time. Because you got to remember, once I, I was involved in it, then I was out of it, and the six squad took over it. Because it was a homicide. Then the DA's that. office took over it. Like I said, Angela Amato, I, I believe she worked on it a lot. You sure. know, she did a good job with Heather Newsbaum. You know, she really did because she got her to testify. So, right. Even know. when she came to court and then testified, it was like a year later, her nose was still messed up. Oh, yeah, she's messed up. I, I saw her one day. I saw her at Phoebe's restaurant one day. She was eating, and I sat down and I said hi to her, and I told her who I was. Wow. She didn't remember who I was, but I, you know, I remembered her. And, you know, and I said, I said who I was, and I said hi to her. And I was, I, I, one thing I said to her, even when she, when that case happened, you could tell she wasn't a bad person. She had really kindness in her eyes. Sure. You could tell she was a victim, you know? And, you know, a lot of, when you work in sex crimes, you see a lot of victims, you know, like a lot of parents, mothers who would keep the husband and keep the roof over the head, even though he was molesting the daughters, right. you know? And that happened a lot of times. They get rid of the kid and keep the man. That's unbelievable. I know. It's yeah. crazy. Wow. You know, but sex crime was a, sex crimes was a really heart-wrenching place to work. It really was. You know, there was many times where I had little kids who I, I used to drive home just like, can't believe what people would do to these kids, you know? Yeah, sure. And even now, it's still happening. I mean, human trafficking, you know, it's rampant. You know, people would, you know, people, and, and with the internet, I mean, You mentioned pedophiles. something earlier about the Bloods and the Crips and how they're not um, fo- um, in, our, in our faces anymore, focus anymore. Priority. Yeah. Why is that? Well, well, I believe, this is what I believe, based on... The work that I do now, I, I, I happen to be a private investigator. One of the things, one of the contracts that I have is one of them is with a foster care agency. And what I do for a foster care agency is when a child is in foster care, if the parents don't visit within a six month period, we have to look for them. So I have a company called The Locators. And it's funny because I, I actually- Look for the parents, look for the kid. Look for the parents because the parents are supposed to visit the children. Just miss homicide aside, we'll locate you. <laughs> right. So what happens is, what it is, is like if a child's in forced to care for six months and the parents don't visit, they want the parents to come visit. And if the parents don't visit, they start the proceedings to terminate the parents' parental rights. Mm-hmm. So the child could be adopted or taken care by the state. So my job is to locate the parents and basically just to tell them to get in contact with the agency. A report is done. It's like a missing persons report. It's called a due diligence. So I do that. And the other thing that I do for them is also I look for missing AWOL foster children who run away. And I had a case I learned, you still learn, I'm telling you, even though I'm I'm not, I was a detective for so many years, you still learn some lessons in life. I had a case where I had a girl that was abducted, and this is what happened. She's walking down the street. Some guys tell her, hey, come over here. She goes over. Stay in here. Hey, you, come over here. Another girl comes over. Another three girls. These guys take these girls right off the street in Brooklyn. Take them, backpage them to backpage, and they were prostituting them. 
So my job was to look for one that I w- my girl that was missing. So what I did was I hung up flyers. I, I made a mistake. I hung up flyers in Brooklyn around the area that she I knew that she was f- f- um, missing from. Hung up flyers. Asked people a lot of questions about her. They seen her. No one knew anything. That night, I went home, or two nights later, I, I, I Googled her phone. First, no, first thing I did was I called her phone number, and I sent her a text message, and I said, um, who the fuck you be messing with my man? And she answers back. She goes, who is this? I go, you're messing with my man. And then and she's going, I'm, I'm sorry, you might have the wrong person. Well, somebody's messing with my man. Who the, hell, who the hell are you? And then you could tell somebody else answers, who the fuck are you? And, it was, and you could tell it was a guy. It was the pimp. And, yeah. I, and I said, well, it's okay, because my man has herpes and all this shit and all this stuff I write, you know, and he answers me back. So now I got some communication, which is, I did it for you to try and get cell site information. Sure. So now what happened was now I took that phone number and I Googled the number and what happens? The page comes up, the back page. She used the same exact number that she was using for her cell phone and her ads came up. And now she was in Pennsylvania. She was in East Stroudsburg. Okay. They had transported her out of state lines when they, I put the flyers up. someone was after They were her, looking yeah. at her. So so the, the woman at, at Grand Wyndham, she's great. I mean, they're really the great, greatest people I work with. Um, they um, notified the FBI and sure enough, they wound up getting all three girls. They had three girls. They, the Bloods, or whichever gang it was, took them off the street. So the room on the street right now is that the the, the gangs, like the Bloods and the Crips, are just taking girls off the street and They're prostituting them. They're in the human them. trafficking business rather That's than the drug hear, business. That's why you don't hear about mm-hmm. drugs anymore. Yeah. You don't hear about it. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and the thing in Brooklyn and a lot of these other places is a girl who's on the street who's a runaway, nobody gives a shit about her. Right. Nobody gives a crap about her. I had a girl who was 14. She was gang banged by so many guys. You know, and they're selling them. They're selling these girls off. Right. And nobody cares because they think of them as young ghetto kids that nobody cares about they're well, running away why, i mean the fbi only gets involved when it crosses state lines that right? one, that's what I happened mean, with I, that I case i can't imagine the fbi would do anything with human trafficking unless you handed it to them like a uh, yeah on a silver platter, but you know but you know? ice ice does get involved with human trafficking yeah. you know it's just has so much of it going on know. you know it's... and you know the way our society is i mean the cops have the hands tied behind the backs everybody's complaining about everybody the sure. jobs are done so you know they don't they don't even like ice they don't want ice to do what is job. the back page Back pages are it's it's actually advertising, but a lot of a lot of um, human trafficking and pornography and prostitution um, was used so to like be advertised. List? Yeah, so like Craigslist. It, it's off. It's off the. It, it's it's not in existence anymore. Back page. But it was something on the internet. Yeah, yeah, it was on the internet. Because I remember back in the day, you used to get like a Screw magazine and the back pages of that. <laughs> They would have before Craigslist and all yeah. that stuff. They'd have yeah, it's the same thing, right? You know, Basically pictures of girls and call me and this, that, yeah. and the other, and sure. So I was thinking that maybe it was like something like that, but on the internet now. And so you say it's not longer in existence. I'm sure no. something else took Some, over. Yeah, you have Craigslist. You have all. You have all these things that you can get. Pick up people. So as as a private eye, how does your um, you know your sex crimes training come in to play? Well, um, I've done a few cases for a few ter- attorneys, and that's and that's a problem. Like working for the defense attorneys, I, I don't like doing it at all. Depending what kind of case it is, I had two cases already with two defense attorney with, with the same defense attorney. Oh, the guy's innocent. The guy's innocent. The guy's innocent. It's a child abuse case. I get the guys to confess to me in front of the lawyer. They're confessing to wow. having sex with a kid. You know, and and now I'm working for the. Opposite. Sure. He didn't I, want to hear that probably, right? And, and you know, the hardest part is, you know, I signed a confidentiality agreement and I'm really loyal. Like I'm very loyal to, if I, if I tell you I'm going to not do this, I won't do it. So you sit there and you're going, should I call the cop and tell the cop, you know, but you can't, you just can't do it. Sure, so, sure. you know, I mean, the guy will get his eventually, but I had two cases. So I don't like doing defense work that much. You said you were in special victims for 10 years. 10 years. And there was a lot of crying going on, right? 
I cried a few times, yeah. <laughs> but you, eventually, at some point, you, you, you... Yeah, eventually you stop, you know. You, you know thicker like, skin or actually, just... Actually, what happened with Lisa Steinberg was that's where my thin my skin got thicker. What I had to do with Lisa Steinberg was I had to look at her autopsy pictures, and that's what I did. I went through her autopsy pictures, and once I went through that, that was it. I never cried for her again. Unless when I talked about it sometimes, and I would cry, but... um. It, but now I'm now I'm a little bit colder in my heart than I was, you know, back yeah, sure. then. You know, you just that's get, not an easy thing for anyone to do. No, I mean, no. you know, male, female, whatever. It's and then, not then, an easy then thing. when I used to go to the morgue, I used to, when I was in homicide, I used to purposely watch a lot of autopsies because then it kind of made you insensitive yeah. a little bit. Let me ask you something. As a dad of um, my daughter's 19 now, but anybody who has uh, a young girl that's walking through the streets of Brooklyn or the Bronx or Queens or whatever, knowing that these. We used to be drug dealers now, just calling girls over. How can you protect yourself as a parent? Or what can you tell? What can a parent tell their child um, about you know being careful? What's what's the best thing we can say? This is what I used to do when I was younger, and I like I told my daughter, if someone talks to you, just keep walking. Number one, and the one thing is, if you have your iPod, your iPods in or your headsets in. Keep them off. Make believe you make believe you have the music on. You just make believe. You know what's going on, but you can ignore people because they don't think that you hear them. Mm-hmm. So you can hear what they're saying, but at the same time, you can ignore them and act like you don't hear them. Mm-hmm. So that's the advice that I give my daughter. You know, you have no obligation to go up to someone that says, "Hey, come over here." No, no I would never don't. go to anybody. Yeah, my my daughter's not too friendly anyway, so she's not. <laughs> you know, she's a little bit mean, but at the same time, you know, you still worry about them. You know, sure, absolutely. You know, especially this day and age. I mean, the other day, some girl punched her in the, in the face. But she you got know? killed, right? Yeah. Oh, no, your daughter. No, got there was a girl the... going home from school that got killed fighting with her classmates. Oh, wow. No, some girl punched my daughter in the face, but um, I, I, lo- I believe in karma. That girl got bit by a rat about an hour later <laughs> and wound up with rabies shots. So. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'll show you the video later. <laughs> was this from school? Um, no, not from school. Somewhere on sure, um, McLean saw, Avenue. You're, the sure, you're sure Madam Irma didn't put a hex yeah, on Yeah. Oh, my hexes work. You can ask some of my bosses. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in the special victims unit. Uh, and how do you uh, wind up getting to homicide? What happens? So I was in the homicide. I was in sex crimes for ten years. I, w- I was completely at this point now. Sizzled, I was right? Burned out, unbelievably burned out. Was, how long can somebody stay there before they're just cooked? It was, uh, I don't know, seven I mean, years, eight years. I don't know. It just depends on the but person. But you also worked with some great detectives and sex crimes, right? That's what it is. I had right? such great people that I work with. John Savino. John Savino was, was the best. He was unbelievable. Beza, yeah. Milton. I mean, all Nelson. I mean, all, so many great good guys. guys. Yeah, great guys. We, we were like a family. We worked really great together. Even Sandy Vasquez. I mean, so I worked so great with so many people. I had really good bosses and sex crimes. You know, you know I, all, all those people you mentioned, I mean, you had left sex crimes, but I was in Manhattan North Homicide, and so, a lot of them were still there, yeah. and I used to go out with them every once in a yeah. while when I was the covering boss, yeah. and I witnessed great detective work. They were really, they were really good detectives, yeah. yeah, and they were also good friends, you know, yeah. so I worked with them for a long time, but what happened was I started, I was really getting burned out, and now I had, now I had, I had, that happened, I didn't have a child yet, no, I, was, was I married, I had just gotten married, I believe, and now I was just burned out, completely burned out. So I'm working with Eddie Rivera that day, and, and we have to go to DBM to drop something off. And I'm telling, and I'm telling Eddie Rivera. DBM is Detective, Detective Borough Manhattan. Manhattan. This is why the people call me a witch. So, <laughs> so I say, I say to Eddie, man, I'm so burnt out, man. I'm so freaking tired of being in, homi- in sex crimes. I, I think I'm gonna see if Resnick lets me go to Manhattan North Homicide because Resnick was my, my. Um, my sergeant, one of my sergeants, yeah, and I have a lot of respect for Resnick. A lot of I people do don't too. like him, but I think he's a great, he's, he's a great he's chief. Rough, he's got a rough personality. Yeah, but he, does, he gets the job done. No, if something happens to someone in my family, yeah. I want someone like him Resnick on it. Yeah, that's what I was used to yeah. say. Yeah, I got to, to know Resnick because I used to coordinate the homicide squad, and he used to. Uh, 
he used to do a, a crime scene investigation and he used to, we used to go there he gave us a map he gave us the dummy and we used to set up mm-hmm. we used to set up the cigarette butts the beer bottle the the gun everything in that that little area and he used to go break it down and and uh, I always said that to myself you know what God forbid something happened to somebody in my family that's the person who I'd want in oh, charge yeah. of the I've, investigation I've seen, he's a magician uh, when he runs up I've seen him in action case. yeah he's great I've seen him in he's action great. a couple of times cop shootings yeah. cop you know just cop homicide he yeah, in yeah, Brooklyn he's, he's he was amazing. excellent yep. you need somebody like that yeah. who's um, and you know stern he's not, not afraid there's either. not many people on the job that have his skills to no. do it I mean he's not he, now he's in internal affairs he's probably close to 70 years old now yeah yeah but I had a lot of respect for him I did too so what happened you were in Manhattan North you're, so, you're the witch. So, so, I'm, so I'm, I, I go to DBM and I'm telling um, Eddie Rivera, man, I'm an ex-resident. If I, if I can go to Manhattan North Homicide, I'm so burned out. I got to get out of here. So when I get downtown, it's so weird. I, I get downtown. I'm dropping the mail off. There's a captain down there. I forgot his name. He goes, we were just talking about you. And I, he goes, he goes, you want to go to the Homicide Squad? I go, whoa, that's not kind of crazy. Wow. Was it Freddie Sachs? <laughs> no, not Sachs. Griffin? So funny. Griffin? Oh, Captain Griffin. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Captain yeah, Griffin. Yeah, yeah, he goes, yeah. we were just talking about you. Do you want to go to Homicide? I go, whoa, I was just talking about this to somebody. He goes, I go Manhattan North. He goes Manhattan South. I go South. No matter what, Manhattan There's no South. Down, you know, yeah. <laughs> I thought Manhattan South was like the wimps. You know, because I came from the North. You know, so I said Manhattan South. Nah, I'm not sure. Um, better food, better suits. I wasn't sure not, about it. No violence. I wasn't sure about it, but but um. Eventually, I said yes, that I would go to Manhattan South Homicide. And then I went on vacation with my family to Ireland. We went to Ireland on vacation. And I remember getting notified. I was in the corner. I was in, um, uh, where was I? Tom and Barry, a place in, in Ireland called Tom and Barry. I'm on a, I, I make a call to the office, and they said, you just got transferred to Homicide. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm jumping in the street in Ireland, and I'm happy <laughs> I'm going to Homicide. <laughs> so then I come, back to New, I come back to New York, and I go into the Homicide Squad, Manhattan South. My first day at the Manhattan South Homicide Squad, my ex-sergeant from sex crimes, Bobby Fiston, drops dead in his office. I remember that, in the 10th Precinct Squad, right? He drops dead in his office. Good guy, too. So now I come come in, and now they tell me to go to the morgue with him, but I can't say he was my boss, you know, because, so I go, okay, so I'll go, I don't want to make, you know, I'm new in the Homicide Squad, you know, I'm the only female there. I don't want to make any waves. So I go to, I, I remember going to the morgue with my old sergeant. His, you know, he's dead. Yeah. You know, that was so fucked up. I'm yeah, telling you, sure. it was horrible. You know, so. Um, he was young too, right? He was young. Yeah. He died. Was it a heart attack? Yeah. yeah he, had, he had some type of arrhythmia with his yeah, heart and yeah. he wound up dying. So that's my first day in, in Manhattan South Homicide. Wow. My, my sergeant drops dead in his office. My old sergeant, the 10th squad. So, and then from there on, you know, Homicide was pretty good place for me to work. I really enjoyed working there. It was, you know, I learned a lot. There was what, a lot of What big cases did you work on in South Homicide? Oh, so, I mean, Adrian Shelley. There's so many. Um, well, tell us about, tell us about I don't your biggest about, let me case. Tell, let me tell another case. Um, the big cases. I can't think. Um, You're getting so senile. How old are you? No, there's so, there were, <laughs> you know, because big cases, like, big cases could be a big media case. A oh, media case. Some, then back up to Matias Reyes. Okay. Let's tell us, tell us about Matias Reyes. Okay. Uh, but, all right, Matias Reyes was a sex crimes case. Sure. All right, so I'll go into the sex crimes. Um, when I was in sex crimes, um, I had a rape in Central Park where uh, we had a young woman who got raped, and the perp had fresh stitches under his chin. So me and my partner, John O'Sullivan, went to every hospital in Manhattan in the Bronx, and we got the names of everybody who, had, who got stitched under the chin that week. And we broke it down to three different names. One that of was the script that the victim gave you? Yeah. 
Yeah, one of the one of the perps at Metropolitan Hospital was Matias Reyes. He had gotten stitches on his chin. So um, we I, the first guy there was a photo on file. This he, was pre DNA too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. The first guy there was a, a photo on file. He didn't match the script that I got. The second guy didn't, but Mat- Matias Reyes, I didn't have a photo on file for him. So I went to his grandmother's house in the housing projects on 102 Street, knocked on her door. She said that she hadn't seen him, but she didn't have a picture of him. Now, if she had had a picture of him. I knew who he was because he worked in this bodega around the corner from my precinct as a little boy. So you knew him. I knew who he was. Yeah. And if I heard the description, I'd say, man, he matches him. Now, Matias, when he was a young boy, he was very friendly with the cops. And he started getting old. He started getting a little bit weird, you know, started acting a little bit strange and a little bit different, you know. So if I had seen, if I had seen a picture of him, I would have said, he's a likely suspect and I, and the, the, that whole case would have changed sure. in many different ways, because I had an, I had another case when I was um, around that same time. There was a case that I got involved in doing in, in interviews. We had a a mother who got killed in front of her two kids, and Matias raised committed that homicide. Was it a homicide sex crime? Or? It was sex. It was a rape homicide. Rape yeah. homicide. He raped the mother in front of her kids, and he he killed he stabbed her. That's a real savage, right? And I interviewed those two little boys. Now, what happened was after, after like a few weeks later, my sergeant calls me up on that case, um, and she says, "Irma, Matias Reyes, does that ring a bell?" It was Nancy McLaughlin. I go, um, yeah, that's the name of the guy that I have from that Central Park case. One of the names that broke down with the ch- cut on the chin. She goes. He's the East Side rapist. He's the one that killed that mother in front of her kids. Oh my God, I was so. Was sick. he the guy? Well, when you say East Side rapist, was he doing all those rapes in the 19th precinct? He was raped with old ladies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How many did he do? Do you he know? Did a, a few of them. You yeah. said old ladies. Yeah. He was. I think he was sneaking into apartments during the nighttime, yeah, yeah. right? And I'm rape- not sure if the nighttime, but I know he did a couple of. of I think he. I think he did an old lady also. Yeah. You know, but he did a couple, a lot of rapes, and there was a lot of rapes that he didn't get even charged for. This was all pre-DNA, right? Yeah. So they weren't uh, identifying cases that they could connect to DNA back then. I mean, think right? about what it. What year was this? Uh, Eighty-eight. Okay, yeah, it's definitely... I mean, th- you think about it. Back then, I mean, I looked, at, I looked at cases from years ago when people got convicted based on their blood type, <laughs> you know? Wow. O positive, you know, half the population's O positive. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, but... um. And his name later came up in the Central Park jogger case, right? right? Not, not just his name, his DNA. His DNA, His right. DNA came up in that. Yeah. He was the homeless guy? You know, he's a homeless, no. He, but with, I mean, because as far as the Central Park Five, we had the five, and then there was, was there oh, a the homeless, homeless guy? guy? That's the guy, with, that, he was a witness, I believe, wasn't he? Didn't he come across and have sex with her? And that's how his DNA oh, yeah, came up? Yeah, well, what, what, they, what they think, well, the police department, what they think, even though the case, the police department didn't fight, once the DA's office dropped the charges against the, the five kids from Central Park, they didn't fight it after that because I think the Blasio became mayor and mm-hmm. he just wanted to settle. Mm-hmm. But the police department had intended on fighting that case before de Blasio became mayor. In mm-hmm. fact, my office reinvestigated the Central Park rape case. Right. and Bobby Mooney worked yes, on it too, Mooney right? Yes, Mooney and uh, Roger Perino was the right. lieutenant, Billy Hicks. It was a whole task force. Mm-hmm. And... They felt they were involved in it, mm-hmm. you know. They were, and that Matias Reyes came up when they were attacking her, and he jumped on her, and he's the right. only one that maybe ejaculated right. off his DNA. So this guy, uh, Mateus, after Matias um, Reyes, yeah. 
after you had him for those all those rapes, how is he back out in the street? I didn't have him, though. That's the problem. The reason why was we never got an idea on him because we didn't have any photos of him. We didn't know where he was. The, vic- the complainant went back to California. You know, that same week that I was working on that case, Bobby Fiston pulled me off that case and put me into the child abuse team. Wow. So I can, fi- I can finish so the case. So it fell through the cracks, it the case. It fell through the cracks, yes. You know, when I, when I hear about things like this, it really, like, drives me crazy a little bit because... It just shows how, you know, they're talking about not letting the police collect the photographs of perps these days. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine how difficult it will be to get an identification? you need a photograph. So important. uh, And I mean, that's the only tool. And it's even difficult to get perps ID'd when you have photographs. If I had had seen a picture of Matias Reyes when I went to his grandmother's house, I would have said he matches the script so perfect. Because the way the woman described his nose as being like flat in here. And he did have like a flat nose. He looks like he had a cleft palate when he was a kid. That's why he looks like, you know, the way his face looks a little bit. Like he has something with his lip and his nose. Like when I picture him in my head when he was young, um, I visualize a lot of things so I can picture him like when he was younger he had a kind of like a flat flattened nose mm-hmm. almost like like i said almost like he had a cleft palate that was repaired that's why he kind of like looked like you know in my head that's how i he was imagine. one nasty guy huh yeah i'll, I'll tell you I, he was all over the place too i'm gonna tell you another story about when i was a, a detective about nasty perps when i was in sex crimes i was working with danny medina one day and there was a big pattern rapes in the in the three four precinct where um Groups of people were, were doing home invasions and, and robbing and, and raping women. And, you know, some old man got a hot iron put on his back. His wife got raped. So now what happens is another another case happens. <clears throat> another case happens. Um, let, me, let me go back. You got to fix this part up, all right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So anyway, so um, so I ha- me and Danny Medina are working. There's a big pattern of rapes going on in, in the 3-4 precinct. And they, so many home invasion robberies. The 3-4 precinct, Washington Heights. Washington Heights. A lot of home invasion robberies. So me and Danny are, are driving in Washington Heights one summer. And I see this guy, and the guy walks by my car. And he gives me a look. And I told Danny, man, that guy, that kid looks so freaking weird, man. He looks like a fucking rapist. I told Danny. Mm-hmm. Danny goes, why do you say that? I go, something about him, man. He looks just reminds me of a rapist. And then later on, another day, we're driving around the 3-4 I see the same kid again. And he looks at me again. I go, man, that, something about that kid, man. He was like a fucking rapist. And Danny goes, you know, so now we have a big, pa- the pattern's going on. Now what happens is they, they, hit, a, they hit a home in um, Washington Heights and they, and they rape two young Jewish girls. One guy uses the phone. He leaves a fingerprint on that phone and they get a hit on him and they arrest him. They bring him in. And now they get the whole team, the whole team that's doing the, the robberies, come, the rapes and robberies come in. They haven't won the precinct. And when I come into work that day at four o'clock, I sit at my desk. I look into my office, into the it's him, into right? recreation room. Who's there? The perp that I saw on the street. I go, fucking Danny, that's the guy that I seen before on the street. I see him twice. So then I got, I got involved in doing the interrogation with him. So when I sit down with him, I go, so what do your victims look like? He goes, they look like you. That's what he told wow. me. Yeah. And I, I spotted him Maybe on the street twice. that's why he twice. gave you that dirty look. I spotted him twice on type. the street. Yeah. I saw. I spotted him twice on the street. That guy. That you have kid. some incredible uh, ESP skills. I know. Yeah, I have a little. Really I, I have a little um, uh, super sensitive. You know. You know. I've I've had it's that a, happen to me too while I was working, where <laughs> I just predicted something was going to happen in a certain area, and I it went does. there and it happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's not an accident. No. No, I, I had nothing like that, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Not, I could write good uh, jokes, though. <laughs> I I had that one night. I was working anti-crime in a two O with this guy Mike Murphy, who was like sort of my mentor. He did 11 years in street crime as my sergeant. And we were over by Central Park West. And I go, Mike, go over to 
uh, West End Avenue. And he goes, why? I go, I just have a feeling something's going to happen on West End Avenue. <laughs> he goes, all right. He goes, I like hunches. If we go over there. We're at the light at 79th of West End Avenue. Two guys, one I see pulls a big knife out. They follow this lady with a, a fur coat down the West End Avenue yeah. toward Riverside goes downhill. Right. The guy yokes her, rips the coat off her. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> I, I'm like, you know, I only had like two years on the job, you know. So I, I go, and I go, did you see that? He goes, yeah, I fucking saw it. <laughs> so I jump out of the car and I'm like, police. And then I see the guy with the knife. He starts running north on West End Avenue. And I had just talked to him about like a week before. How do you take a perp down with a car? You know, so the perp makes the fatal mistake of running in the street Mm -hmm. and Mike Murphy runs him over with the car. It was beautiful, but he didn't even hurt him. He hit him, slammed on the brakes, hit him, and and the guy wound up, hit the windshield. He was like, you guys are fucking crazy. The perp perp ran right into the police car, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly that. He ran into the front fender, you know, but he was like a career twice. And uh, (laughs) And then we got the $5,000. And then he jumped behind the back wheels, too. That's right. (laughs) Fucking guy. The lady couldn't believe we got this guy. You know, it was unbelievable. And she had a big bruise on a button. I told her, I'm going to have to photograph it. And she looked at me like, and I was, you know, of course I was kidding. Irma Rivera will do that. She's from Sex Crimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, I can tell you about my first, my first homicide when I was in the, in the when I, my first homicide, when I was in a homicide unit, I had, I, I was living downtown. I had gone home and I got called back in because it was a homicide. And on 26th Street and 2nd Avenue, there was a, a store. When you say you got called back in, let's clarify that for our audience. You went home, you were in the tour. And my sergeant called me back and said that there was a, a homicide. You know, they needed people. So I, I, I lived far, so I came back. I came mm-hmm. back. So um, and trap what you're doing and yeah, was, go back to work. I went back to work and um, I assisted on that homicide. And what happened that day was it was, a co- it was actually a cop's father. There was a store on 26th Street and 2nd Avenue. It was a deli. And, um, and the guy, that guy was a uh, Korean guy who was really good to the people in the community. He used to give him credit. Very, very good guy. Took care of everybody in the community. And what happened was he was going to his garage spot on 26th Street to get his car to go home, and he got shot, and he got robbed, and they killed him. So I, I get there. It's the first person I have, you know, for, actually, it's the second homicide. The first one was across the street from me, but this one, and I, and I, I get there, and he's laying on the ground, you know, the, the, everything is, he's dead. Um, so, um, I'm working with a lieutenant who's a little bit of a dick, you know, he was, I couldn't stand him, yeah. you know, but I'm working with this lieutenant. He was like a bit of an asshole, like a little bit of chauvinistic. He was an IAB guy who was working in the 13th precinct at the time. I won't say any names, but he knows who he is. He's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, so he's kind of like a little bit cocky all night with me, you know, telling me like, you know, like making it seem like I don't know what I'm doing, right, right. you know, one of those type of deals. What happened you was- You want to start over? Yeah. Okay. So um, let me just take you back. Um, yeah. Sorry. Do you own a, a house now? <laughs> no. He's being funny. <laughs> no, no, no. No. Okay. Do you have an apartment? Yes. How many bedrooms? Comedians coming out. Of them. <laughs> I don't know right. how far back he wanted to go. Just, go. just tell the story. Don't worry about okay, it. Okay. So, so what happened was, um, the cop tells me he comes into the precinct. His, the, the wife and the door and the the wife and the mother start driving around looking for the father because apparently the father didn't come home and they were worried about that maybe he had a flat. So they start driving around the city, uh, around the area that he would, t- the route he would take to come home looking for him the son who's a cop 
comes into, he finds out that, that something happened with his father, comes into the precinct, and what he tells me was that he was sleeping and he woke up having a dream that he was behind the police desk and his father passed him a death certificate. Wow. So he wakes up and he knows that something happened. Wow. So he comes into the precinct. You know, we tell him that what happened with his father. Now the wife and the, and the mother come in and we tell them that, you know, that he, he died. And I remember like them grabbing at me, pulling at my clothes. Yeah. And that's like one thing that I have to say about like um, working in homicide, the hardest part for me was making notifications. Yeah, that's really hard. And and it seemed like most of the time I got picked to make the notifications. They picked me many times to make the notifications. Because I'm a female, I'm pretty sure, you know, go and notify this parent. It's sensitive. But then what happened was there were, there were times though, like what... Like I had a case one time on State Street where a mother got killed in front of her. A mother got killed and the kids were at the precinct, at the first precinct. And they were there all day. And now we had to notify them that the mother was dead. So I had to notify them. And then some freaking asshole inspector criticized the way that I notified the kids. You know, how do you notify somebody that the parent's dead? There's no, no way, not, no there way no of doing way it. Do it. Or even put the kid on my lap and go, your mother's dead? You yeah. know, like, you can't There's do it no that way. way. You just got to just, just yeah. tell them. And when they did that to me, I, I mean, again, when things like that happen, you don't think it affects you, but it affects you in your sleep. Yeah. I couldn't sleep that night thinking, did I do it the wrong way? Right, and I started right. second guessing myself. But which way myself. did you do it? You just told you know, them. So you're, you're, I'm sorry, but your, your mother's dead. Your, you know, your and what did this inspector want you to say? I don't know what the hell he wanted. He was a jerk. He got yeah. in trouble eventually. Yeah. How, many, how many notifications did he ever make? Probably none. Yeah. yeah. You know, but people are always trying to tell you how to do your how job. How you do your Stupid. job, yeah. yeah. But um, other cases in homicide, there were so many cases in homicide. One of the good cases that we worked on, there was one case, the guy's name was Glinton. That was a really good case. This is a case where we had a nine-month-old woman show up in the Hudson River on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday morning, early in the morning, and she was nine months pregnant. When I went to the hospital, she was still warm. And, and I'm saying to myself, man, like, I, like what I'm... Do you mean, what do you mean? She was dead along the river? She was, she was floating in the oh, river. she was floating nine in the months, river. Okay, pregnant. Nine months pregnant. Okay. So they said it was a homeless woman. They said she committed suicide. Yeah. So I remember being at St. Vincent's Hospital saying, man, why would a nine-month pregnant woman commit suicide? Being a mother, like, knowing what it's right, like to carry right. a baby, it's like, why would you commit suicide at nine months? Like, I couldn't understand that because I couldn't understand the concept of a nine-month pregnant, pregnant woman killing, woman herself, killing yeah. herself, especially being a mother. So it turns out later on, we find out that she had a boyfriend and her boyfriend was married and that her, that, that she was supposed to give birth that weekend. It turns out what happened was she, she met her boy, but the, the story later on turned out was that she met her boyfriend that weekend because she wanted to have sex. Cause the doctor said if she had sex, there was a chance that she have a baby. You Induce know, it. Induce right, the baby. And what he did was he met her by um, the sanitation department. They had sex. He probably had sex with her by the water, but he shot her in the back of the head, and he pushed her into the into the into the water. Wow! And so she comes up in the in the, in the water. You know, we um, um, I went to the autopsy. The guy was a male black, but he was really really white. He mm-hmm. had really white skin, and the baby came out. Baby was very white, like him. Um, I went to the house. Now, how did you come up with his name? Oh, the family said that she, the family said that he had that she had a boyfriend who was married. And they, so they identified they him name, for you, okay? Right. Yeah. So we went to the house. We we went to see. When you say he was white, he was a light skinned black, or he had vitiligo. He it wasn't it wasn't vitiligo, but he was really light skinned just like a, a almost just like he was white, but he wasn't white. And he like was an albino. He, he was an albino either. He just had really fair skin, mm-hmm. and, and and a lot of his kids had the same color skin as him. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I went to his house and I spoke to him and to his wife, and we explained to him what was going on. We brought him to the precinct with us, interviewed him. 
he was such a liar. Yeah. He says, oh my God, what happened to her? He's crying. So we get a, a nice timeline with Tony Vega. We get a, a timeline of, 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 you know, what he did that day. And the way, the, the way we got him was, um, he never went out ever in his life, really ever went out, never really hung out. But that day he apparently left his house saying he was going to a party. And his wife kept calling him, so the cell sites kept, he- kept hitting. hitting yeah. It hit the woman's mm-hmm. neighborhood. It hit back. It hit so he was so close to the water that it hit, it hit from New Jersey. Into what Manhattan. year was this? Uh, two thousand and four, five. Yeah. Not too long ago. For our, uh, our listeners, you know, cell phone technology. As long as your cell phone is on and you're moving around, it hits cell sites in your vicinity, which can give the police a timeline as to where you are and where you're moving and the geographic area. We should area not tell them that. Well, I think everyone knows. <laughs> Already, yeah, since every it, yeah. homicide that's solved, the police commissioner lets everyone <laughs> yeah. know how how it was solved. You know. Yeah. So yeah. um. So that's one. I mean, and, and that guy actually killed. We believe he killed his first wife. His no first wife went missing, and she was found dead in the woods. So we believe that he killed his first wife. Did as you well. guys reinvestigate that? No, we, no? Didn't, we didn't do nothing on that. No, because yeah. you know it belongs to the, it really, the case. Really belongs to the squad. We assist the squad. Sure. But that was a good case because that case we had it from the beginning to the end. You know, I mean, I was actually able to put my handcuffs on him. He really deserved it. Yeah. You know, he was a sanitation worker. And one thing I used to do every every year when I was in sex crime in, in homicide squad, I would um have a Christmas tree. I would put up a Christmas tree every year. I put crime scene tape on it <laughs> and I would hang up, I would make, um, um, like, um, what do you call those? Um, the decorations of people that arrest, got right, arrested. Right. I love that. And, and he was the, he was the star. How come you weren't in the North? He, he was, he, he was the you. star of the tree that year. Like he was on the top, you know, glitten, you know. Ornaments. We didn't have anyone. Ornaments, that, we didn't right. have anyone that did that in the North. Yeah. We could have used someone. Yeah, it was fun. That. A female touch. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, I, I enjoy that. Um, other cases, there's so many cases. How many years did you work in homicide? Uh, 10 years. Did it affect you the same way it affected you, the uh, special victims? Um, you know what affected me a little bit? 9-11. Yeah. I had never seen so many dead bodies in my life, man. I never seen so much so much. Did you work death. at the morgue during I was at the 9/11? morgue. Yeah, yeah. That was, you know, something. The bunker gear when they opened up, all you see was firemen. ashes yeah, for firemen. I know. I worked in the morgue that first night. We were taking um, the body bags off the uh, the meat wagon. Yeah. And bringing them in there when they got uh, they got the number, yeah, they got it. And then I was in the family center after that. You know, I remember too. I remember, um, and I didn't, I wasn't assigned to the morgue, but I worked numerous times in the morgue. And I, I, you know, I was in homicide too, and I had never seen bodies before in that condition. Oh my god, I, I carried, I carried so many yeah. feet, yeah. like people's just feet. You know, and yeah. then also like 9-11, I went down to the, um, to ground zero, like seeing people smash on the ground. Yeah, I remember, no, I remember one shirt that the woman had an Annie Klein size eight pink shirt. I remember yeah. her hair was red. She was smashed on the ground. I remember seeing torsos on the ground. I mean, it was really, really, that really took a big effect yeah, on no, me. Absolutely. I almost yeah. retired around that point. You yeah. know, that was in 2002 because I had 20 years and, and, um, but then I went up staying, yeah. you know, I stayed another six years. Yeah. You know, I was, I actually, when I had 20, which would have been what, uh, 2005, I guess. Mm-hmm. No, not 2000. Yeah. And I was like, my wife was like, I thought we agreed that you would leave at 20. I go, we, yeah. <laughs> do you have a mouse in your pocket? <laughs> I go, I never agreed to anything. I'm sure she's going to appreciate the way you <laughs> sound like, just like no, her. No, she'll get pissed when she hears it. <laughs> but I said, I'm not, it's not a good, I'm in a good place. I'm not ready to leave and I'll, I'll know when it's uh-huh. time to leave and I did you know what I say mm-hmm. that you'll know and I did in 2011 I was like I'm done I've had enough of this you yeah know? I, I left because my, my daughter she was like a, maybe four years old and she kept saying mommy we're gonna retire you know she, yeah. and she, she kept getting, nagging you right yeah and then, then I, I was in an apartment in Brooklyn like, like the last right before I retired I was in Brooklyn 
And you know, I, ha- I had an, I already had a neck. I have a neck injury that I got. Yeah, how did that happen? Um, when I was a, a, in the two three precinct, I um, I again I told my partner, let's go down Fifth Avenue. He goes, why? I go, there's been a lot of robberies there. Yeah, he goes, yeah. how do you know? I go, I just read the sixty sheet. Yeah. So we drive down Fifth Avenue, robbery in progress, of course, and the guys the, the guys are robbing a an elderly drunk guy, and they run eastbound on one o fifth Street. And southbound on, on Madison Street. Right, Madison Avenue. Yeah. Madison Avenue. One guy goes into a building, and I'm I'm the passenger I'm the passenger recorder, so I'm, I I'm about to jump out of the car, and he runs. But when I close the car door, the door didn't shut. So when when my partner flips the, turns the corner on the floor, the door. I fly out the door, and I and I hear a loud thump on the ground, so loud. And I hear people on the street screaming, saying, holy shit, look at that cop. And people yelling and screaming. <laughs> it's from and, you're, and you're embarrassed. So I got up and I ran. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. we caught him. You know, I was, it's Flashdance. <laughs> look, it's Flashdance. I was RoboCop then. You know? So anyway, we get the guy. Oh, my, I got hurt so bad. I was hurt for many, many years. Did you have surgery? Yeah, I, I was hurt for many years. Yeah. But, but then what happened Your was... Your partner was probably like, Irma, Irma, where the hell did you go? He said he saw my feet go out the, <laughs> out the door. So, um... Um, but I was hurt really bad then. And mm. what happened was I, I started getting dizzy spells and I went to the surgeon a couple of times and they told me, listen, this keeps up. We're going to have to survey you off. I oh, said, oh, no. I, feel I feel better. So yeah. I started going to doctors on my own and didn't do it through the police department. Yeah, sure. Then I had a few other incidences and I wound up with a cervical fusion like years later, wow. you know, but I, but I feel, I feel great, man. I just got to take care of yourself, work out yeah, and feel yeah, good, absolutely. you know, but, um, so, so you were, you, um, you did 10 years in homicide, homicide. Yeah. And how many, uh, so when did you get to the point where, okay, I think I had enough? I, only when my daughter really was talking about that. And then, she was and, four? Yeah, around four. She and that, just and that, wanted mommy to stay home with her? Yeah, and that, you know what, is ha- what happened in Brooklyn that time, when I, we went to Brooklyn, I, I was having a bad feeling that night. I kept telling my, the, my sergeant that I was working with, um, I believe it was Sergeant McCormick, I was saying, I have this bad feeling tonight. I really have this bad feeling tonight. And when we get to this apartment in Brooklyn... Um, no offense, but if I worked with you and getting to know you, and I know that your feelings are real, when you say that, I'd be so annoyed. I'm, I'm, I'm taking lost time. Me too. Let's get me. out of here. I was the only one in the squad. I can say I got a really bad feeling tonight. I, I just feel like something, something's not right tonight. You know. So we get to this apartment in Brooklyn. Um, there's like a lot of guys in this apartment with one girl. The, 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 they said that they were um, trafficking her. So I make a long story short. I'm in the back room with this girl. I'm interviewing her. Everybody's in the front room. I'm there. I see a door. I said, did anybody check that door? It's a closet. And when I go to pull it, somebody pulls it from the inside. Oh, shit. There was a guy inside that closet. And I was saying, man, if that guy had a gun, he would have shot me. It would have been, been so yeah. easy. He would have gotten me so good. So from then, and I got hurt. I hurt my neck again then. Because when he pulled the door, he, he pulled it so hard, it hurt my neck again. You know, again. sometimes you can get, um, especially when you're in the detective bureau, sometimes you can get lax yeah. tactically because you're not on the street every day. Sometimes, when we have, whenever we went out to apprehend someone I threw my vest on mm-hmm. I know the reality I threw my right. vest on but some detectives don't you know right. and tactically you should always use the same tactics like yeah. you did when you're on patrol because you know you yeah. can get killed just as easily as a cop can you know yeah and then that was the beginning and then then what happened was um, a job came up at NYU so Rick Torelli said listen they're looking for someone at NYU you know sex crimes liaison so I, I applied for the job that was outside of the, of the job you had to retire from the PD yeah. and then go work over there yeah so then I went to so then I, I, I applied for the job and I got it. Did you like that job? Uh, it was all right, but it was like 
working indoors. I didn't like it. Yeah. You know, I had my own office. The pay was great. You know, it was a nice job. And people would have loved that job. How it about was, the politics of it? Oh, so much kiss assing. I didn't, I am just not a big kiss asser and I don't, yeah. I don't like all the politics involved. So and, and you said it was NYU. Yeah. And one thing about like people who work in colleges, they don't know the real world. I'm sorry. They really don't. No, they they don't. live in a fantasy world. Yeah. Everything is make believe. They would have me investigating stolen flip flops. Come on. Ugh. But my first week there, there was a homicide. One, some 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 professor's daughter got killed in the apartment. So, oh, wow. so and then I see that like the media guys see me and they go, "Oh, what's going on? I don't work there anymore. I'm in I'm in NYU now." And it's like the wow. homicides the homicides followed me to NYU. Oh wow! <laughs> but um um NYU is a good place to work, but it's just I mean not, I'm definitely not into that. The private sector is uh, a little bit different. So, it's such a difference, so, between, especially so in I, college. You're talking about to the tenth power because those are indoctrinating uh, institutions, and you go there and they live in this bubble. They do live and in a bubble. It's unbelievable. But they like, teach the bubble to us. Student to yeah, our kids. Well, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's the problem right now. The kids are learning what they're teaching them, which is very left winged. You know, they don't oh, they don't live disgusting. in the real world. It's no. bullshit. You know. And you know, here's NYU charging seventy one thousand dollars a year, so these arrogant professors so they can, can, you can brainwash your child. Let me tell you, yeah, working exactly. at NYU, I watched I watched a college student making out with a homeless guy in the street. I found out that there was girls bringing homeless men into their dorm rooms. And why I mean, were they doing this? Because they're, they're trying to be nice. Yeah. You know? Oh, they're just gullible and the homeless person need a place to stay. So many, so many sex crimes. and I was a sex crimes liaison at NYU. I mean, just the kids are so naive. I'm telling you, this make-believe world is really affecting a lot of our young people. Sure. Because you really have to know what's really going on in this world. It's not, everything is not the way, like a bowl of cherries like the, the society wants you to think it is. It's not. You know, There's a lot you know of bad people out me, here. You know what bothers me the most about this make-believe world is that the police have become the enemy. Of course, and we're not. A big time enemy. And like every time the police take action, some idiot with a video, uh, cell phone video is there. You know, they're questioning the police's authority. And this is all coming from these left wing professors yeah. at NYU. And they, when they, does, they, killed, um, they killed another cop last night. Uh, yeah, wait, wait, Mississippi? That. Was it Mississippi? Yeah, yeah so yeah. sad. I mean, that, law enforcement is not respected the way it used to be. No. When does um, when do the parents find out, or when is not, when is uh, these sex crimes cases called? When when is the the, the local precinct notified from the uh, as um, special victims liaison from NYU or any college for that matter? First of all, colleges don't have to report them because um, the kids when you're in college, you, your parents uh, there's something called FERPA laws. You you, you, you the school's not allowed yeah, to tell the parents it information. Once becomes a felony, they have to report it. There's, there's a time. they don't have to. So basically what you're to. saying even, is... Even any, any rape, any woman who gets raped, if you go into a hospital, you do not have to report it to the police. Wow. A sex crime does not have to be reported, yeah. even still. So you, your child could be raped at school. No, a, chi- the school see, could but a child, depending on the age, if it's a minor, but a woman who's like a, a college student... 19, 20-year-old college girl. You, you, you don't have to report it. You, your she gets raped. Ha- your parents do not have the right to know that you got raped in college. It could be documented. The school could document it. They could spend, send the special victims liaison over there, and the parents would never know if the nope. child doesn't tell them. Even it, there are students in college who tell their parents that they're attending colleges, and they're not. You know, and right, the right. school has certain laws that they cannot disclose information to parents regarding the students. Right. You kids. know, even when my kids went to, both my kids went to Elon University. I couldn't request to see their grades, nope. even though I'm paying. Yep. I was like, oh, I'm paying. Yeah, it doesn't matter. No, nope. they're protected by so yeah, many exactly. laws. They, they had to like sign off, agree that I could see their grades. They're protected. I said, well, what if I cut off their? <laughs> yeah, they protected. I mean, it's just like even as a parent, even my son's medical records, I can't even get them. He's only twenty-one. Yeah, those are the, the HIPAA laws. Yeah, That's, yeah it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. 
everything is so different now. Now, but the other thing is, it, it, colleges like to hide a lot of crimes because they don't. Oh want, yeah, they, they do that all the time, right? Yeah, they don't want people to know that. Uh, you know, we had four colleges at least in um, the two six, and I remember the Columbia. They used to give you a nice package with a bow on it, and here's the perp. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, burglaries, home inv- um, uh, robberies. Right. Things like that that happened in that area, the vicinity. They got they got so many cameras, and when you used to get it, you used to get the whole thing. This is your perp. This is the, the reports that we have. It was the easiest college to make because well, they had retired members of the service yeah. working. They in, had really good detectives working there. Yeah. And uh, but the funny thing is, a lot of times they're patterns, and a lot of times you don't hear nothing about it, and you're getting no. six cases in one shot. Columbia is no friend of the police either. No, but I'm just saying me. the ones that we yeah. got. The detectives there with, with a bow on it. Well, you Beautiful. know what happens with public safety? Public safety might be a friend of the police, but the, the way the administration of the university is, is the they problem. They tie their hands, yeah. That's what the problem. What would you tell the police that for? Yeah. You're fired. Well, you, so <laughs> I'm going to go back to a homicide case. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still, even though I'm retired, I'm working on a case still with a, the cold case squad yeah, with Joe Lombardi and with. Um, now? Yeah, and with one of the FBI guys, John, I forgot what his last name is, but they're working on an old cold case that I had that I've been working on since. Since I came into the homicide squad, the girl's name is Deborah Stewartson. She's a she was a 15 year old girl who was found dead in a freezer, uh, like a, a at a building that's in Midtown North, which is like part of the. Ach- and what, what, year, what year did this happen? I believe it was 1982, 83, and and it's an old homicide, and it has there's some DNA on it. So right now the FBI is still involved with it. Um, recently, Joe Lombardi and I and I met with um, the FBI guy, and they they're going through the case and they're trying to solve it because it's such a great case, and it's a case involving a 15 year old girl who was raped, strangled, burned. And that case has haunted me throughout the years. Like, for instance, when I went to NYU, when I was working at NYU, we had a pattern burglary, and I believe one of them turned into a homicide. Um, and it turns out when the person gets arrested, he tells the detectives in the sixth precinct, well, my sister got killed when she was younger and my whole family fell apart. And I go, what's his name? They go, Stewartson. I go, oh my God, that might be Deborah Stewartson's brother. So I looked at the picture and sure enough, he looks just like the father. Wow. So that's one. My son goes to school in, at, in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I, I'm going through my emails. I realized that her mother lived in Worcester, Massachusetts because I had gotten in touch with her years before when I was still in homicide. So I said, oh, let me go visit her when I go visit my son. So I went to, she was living at the Abbey house. So I went to the Abbey house and looked for the mother. She had just died. She died a month wow. before, you know, so Deborah Stewartson has haunted me throughout the years. And I, it's a case that I would love to see solved because she's so young and she's a beautiful young girl and she got killed and we still don't know who did it, right. you know, and it well, destroyed you know, the whole family. Destroyed the whole that's family. another thing with, um, well, from nine 11, the DNA technology has made gigantic oh leaps that I think it's called, um, familiar poly polymerase chain reaction where they can make, take a little sample of a DNA and make it bigger? They could actually make a, 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 an image now with the DNA. That's unbelievable. Yeah, they can that's make an like, image. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I tell you, I, I wish that I can just go back and be like 25 years old, old again and just learn all this stuff because I, I, yeah. I find it so fascinating and but I love you know, technology. There's probably, there's probably lots of cases sitting on shelves and warehouses that could be solved that yeah. we're not working on for whatever the politics Well, there will are. be. I mean, at some point, you would hope that they'll get to them. Yeah, but you know something. A lot of a lot of the witnesses are dead. A lot of the perps are dead. Right. You know, a lot of people. A lot of people are dead. Especially a lot of the cases from the '80s. You know, a lot. You know, Eddie Tacky told us about a, a case that that he had. It actually happened in the village, where this guy raped two women, and like 24 years later, the DNA hit. And was they, that the one on Gay Street? Do you know if that was the I'm one? I'm not sure the exact street, okay. but it was such a, you know. 
for us to hear that that's so great you know yeah. he's a savage in prison you know where, where politicians letting him out after 15 years now you know and then he slaps a, a you know a rape from 20 something years ago that's like the golden yeah. gate the golden gate killer that, oh, that, that detective did a great job yeah, yeah. I, I forgot what his name is but he did such a great job on that case and they used that da- the database yeah the, uh, I don't my DNA's not on that my no, mother's no, is no, mine is a- I'm not paying my DNA yeah, <laughs> I'm afraid how many kids my father's kids will show up with <laughs> how many have brothers and sisters I have you're opening up a Pandora's nah, box no, yes. no. I wouldn't put my DNA I don't want no, no siblings coming up saying oh I'm your father's child you know I don't want that so. can I borrow a few thousand <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, can I use your apartment on the lease <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. you don't use it let me have it <laughs> how many years how many years did you work at NYU I worked at NYU for um, three years three years three years was more than enough were you looking for uh, another job after NYU no, because mom, I, your daughter was like four years old. She's like, "Mommy, I want you to retire. That means stay home." She doesn't no, mean go out and get another job. No. <laughs> I, I could never stay home. I've been working since I was fourteen years old. Like when I went to NYU, what I did was I I wound up getting um, top secret clearances for the government. So I wound up overlapping and doing that at the same time. And then eventually I, I left NYU and I started doing the key point, you know, the government. They didn't pay good enough. Right, and then right. I got, at the same time, I got my PI license and I started working with that. I mean, I look at my. What is the, pro- the process of getting the PI license? You just got to take a test. How hard is the test? Nice. No, I passed it the first time. Mark, 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 you, know, you know me Mark, for an hour right now. Do you think I could pass it? Yeah, I think you pass it. <laughs> no way. <laughs> pass it. It's easy. Mark, Mark could pass it. You could pass it. I, I could even highlight for you what, yeah, you, yeah. what you need to, to you do to take it. Uh-huh. Give you yourself more out. credit, Mark. Department of State, you just file for it. You could pass it. Who's going to pass it? Yeah, really, I'm going to be a peer. I'm six foot four. You got to get a 65. See, I, I don't like to. I look like I don't do a lot of surveillance. I do more investigations. You know, I like doing interviews, investigations. You know, that's what I do. And I work for a few lawyers. I mean, I had one lawyer that I'm working with now. He's a great, let me tell you, he's a really good lawyer. Like when I first started working with him, me and him kind of clashed a little bit because he was a little yeah. bit condescending with me. But um, once we kind of straightened everything out, I love working you with him. You showed him your clairvoyance. I, <laughs> no, I just think he's a really good lawyer. And like if anything happened to anyone in my family, I would definitely use well, him. Well, you think of someone like you right now, too, the um, the need for you in the private sector, even with these NFL cases, mm-hmm. those players are always getting in trouble. Lisa Friel, the head of sex right. She works for the NFL right now. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. even look, the Harvey Weinstein case. Yeah, see, but I don't like those big no, political right, cases. You'd, you'd be working for Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, you right? don't want to like doing those cases. Also, they they treat you like 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 you're the servant. I don't want to be working for people like that who yeah. are forcing. I mean, they think that you need the money so bad that you're gonna, you know. Well, they're looking for I, a certain outcome, and yeah. if they're not getting it from you, they'll fire fire you and get somebody I'm, else. I'm very honest with lawyers. I tell lawyers from the beginning, I am not going to make the story fit. What you want is I'm going to just tell you what the truth is, and that's it. That's you, great. You, yeah. I'm not playing any, any of those games. I'm not playing games with anybody. Right. You know, I don't need to do that. Well, you know, we've had I've been in like the uh, homicide squad, and some dirtbag private investigator comes in, and he starts talking to one of the detectives about a homicide, mm-hmm. and he's trying to get him to make a statement. He's obviously from trying to make this guy look like he was innocent. Mm-hmm. And it, the guy he, he was talking to was Joel Trenta, if you know oh, Joel Trenta. Joel, yeah. Joel Trenta has a fuse about that law. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And once he saw that thing where the guy was going, he goes, you fuck, get the fuck out yeah. of this office, you know? <laughs> yeah. He was trying to get him to say something that would incriminate himself like he framed this guy. He goes, your client is guilty. He'll always right. be guilty. And let him enjoy his 25 to right. life. See, now, so, see, now, now I, I have gone to do interviews with, with the, like the victim of the crime, you know? Yeah. And I'll go there. I say I'm representing. 
representing the lawyer, the, the client, or, or I'm a private, I'm an investigator. Sometimes they don't ask. I just do the interview anyway. But sure. you know, most of the time, I'm very honest. I let them who, who I'm representing. You know. Do you ever have to talk to uh, cops? No. They don't want to talk to you. Anyway, I, I, I've right? never. I've never. I, I just don't do that. Yeah. There's no reason to. Yeah. I, no, I just, but a lot of PIs do. Yeah, I don't. You know, I remember a guy came into the two three rip one time. He was like, "Hey, you guys looking to get some off duty employment? Seventy five. And then then he broke it to us what he was looking for. Like, take a walk. Yeah. What was he looking for? He was looking for some information. A robbery case that was against us. You know? Oh. No, no, we're not looking to talk to you, Jack. Take your seventy five dollar security job and take a walk. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know. Well, who is this guy? Some dirt bag. <laughs> he had a seventy five dollars an hour. This was years ago. He's probably dead. Like all private. <laughs> so yeah. your PI is this a company you started or do you work yeah. for somebody else? No, I, I started my own company. It's called the Lo- the Locators, and it's funny because I, I picked the name, um, but um, I picked the name, but I was in locating people then. I kind of like fell into my name. Yeah. So you know, it's called the Locators. It's a PI company. I, I do work with Sage Intelligence. I work with them. I work with um, Black Tie. I work with different people and different lawyers. And I guess so. If you wanted to, and I know you don't really need to work crazy hours or anything, you, you could probably have a booming business if you wanted to, right? I don't know. I mean, I don't want to work. I don't want to. I know you don't want to, but if but I'm saying work. if you did want to, there's, yeah, there's work a lot out of work. There. There's, yeah. there's, there's a lot of work out here for there's investigators. Some, there's some comics that uh, look at us. Yeah. Let me tell you something. But there's a lot of the work best. out here. There's a lot of work out here. Yeah. If you want to work, there's work out here. Yeah. The best private eye that I ever... Well, I can't say I've seen him, but the best private eye that I know of is the guy that was following me around for a year. <laughs> that fucking guy. <laughs> he must have caught me a hundred times and never saw him. <laughs> is he from Sick Desk? The fucking guy. Sick Desk? <laughs> Anybody <laughs> over, Somebody asked me the other day, can you recommend the private eye? I was like, yeah, this is the guy's name. <laughs> this is Card. That's he the guy. Who, out of residence while sick. <laughs> that guy, that's the guy who followed me for a year and <laughs> saw me with uh, my slew of uh, my my stable of women. That I had on the side. <laughs> oh, that was hired by your wife. Your yeah, ex. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't get it. Boy, you looking? You haven't ever looked in your mirror. I was slow to get to get That's that crazy. one. You know? Yeah, that guy fucked me good. <laughs> He's really good at his job. <laughs> so, Irma, where do you go from here? No. I just want to keep working. I want. I just want to keep working and. Um Maybe my daughter's going to college next year. My son's going to be finishing college, so I'm going to probably take off and travel around a little how bit. A, how about a book? No. Everyone that comes on this show, nah. for some reason, has written or wants to write a book. Nah, I have no interest. I'm no. not. Miss Homicide, Miss Sex no. Crimes, Miss... No. How about a police consultant on TV shows? No. I mean, I, I, did, I did one time once, New NYC 22, I assisted on that. Those, those shows are, seem so glamorous, but they take for, uh, so many yeah, hours yeah. to film one thing. I, I just don't... I but just, you know, even it's when not I my watch thing. SVU, it seems thing. too antiseptic. It doesn't seem the grit. I'm going to tell you. I'm surprised I'm even doing this because you know, I was. Uh, yeah. You know, I was a police consultant on the, sh- but on the writing end, I used to sit down on the writing meetings for uh, the guy who wrote the show Monk, Andy Breckman, and he was coming out with a new show, and the f- it was a f- crazy show. It was based off a book about this lady who solves crimes by, um, was it fingerprint? No, uh, fuck. Oh, handwriting, a handwriting oh, expert. She was. Yeah. She wrote a book how she was solving crimes based on people's handwriting. So we wrote a whole series on it. And when I used to go, um, I was smart enough to know no matter what idea they came up with, mm-hmm. 
could this actually work? You know, anything. I, yeah, that uh, 100%. No. We see <laughs> that all the time. Great. I wasn't rocking That's the boat. Great. These poor guys slaved the whole yeah, week yeah. writing this yeah. this thing. The last thing I'm going to do is come in on Thursday. Nah, that shit could never happen. Yeah. I was like, of course it can. But then when you hit them with a little PD slang, like home run, ground they ball, loved they it. loved, loved it. Stuff, loved right? it. Loved it. That's why stuff my advice mean. to anybody, if you're in law enforcement and you get one of these jobs and you're lucky enough, never criticize the writing. Of oh, course yeah, it could right. happen. Yeah, you know yeah. why? Because shit happens, man. Nothing's yeah. out of it. No, no, yeah, no. you got to play their game, yeah. You See, know, well, my problem is I, can't, I, I don't like being fake. I can't be fake. That's my problem. Right, you know, I don't right. I could be, be fake. If you pay me enough, I could be, I could be the fakest <laughs> fucking can. dude you ever Most met. Most men like, can, yeah, trust me. There's a, there's it's all about money, man. There's an OEO slur. <laughs> yeah, men are fake. Yeah, we just said that when we were on the job, we'd be filing a, f- a federal lawsuit uh-huh. right now. It's so crazy. <laughs> I mean, people are so sensitive these days. Oh, it's unbelievable, man. The my best behaved, I could tell you, you know what? I could tell you who the best behaved husband in the world is. Who? Yours. Can you imagine trying to do her getting an intuition? Wait a minute. Trust me, my intuition has gotten me in enough trouble. I had a dream last night. Let's talk about the intuitions, okay? Because this is a real thing. You mentioned it a couple of times during our uh, time together here. How you had a hunch. It's more than a hunch. It's more than an intuition. It's almost. It's almost like you see things. I don't see things. No, I'm not going to say that. No, but I mean, you you told us the story before. You feel things, right? The story I told you before. You have more than the average. You woke up from a dream. Let me tell you the story. Okay, so what happened was September September 6, 2015, I wake up in the middle of the night and I hear clear as day, someone in my ear yell, mom, and it was very distressful. Um, I jump out of my bed. I run out to my living room. My husband's there, standing there. And he goes, what's wrong? I go, oh, where's my son? I go to my son's room. I check on him. I check on my daughter. And I come back out. And my husband goes, what happened? I go, oh, man, I heard somebody in my ear so clear as day. They said, mom, but it sounded very distressful. He said, that was a dream. I said, no, it wasn't. So I take my cell phone. I go back to bed. And I document it. And I have a timestamp. It says 4.07 a.m. Were you doing like a DD5 on your cell phone? No, no. <laughs> so I, so I, I go back to sleep. And now I hear either train a plane, a form of transportation, clear in my ear again. And I, I say to myself, wow, twice in one night, because this has happened to me before. So I go to sleep. In the morning, about 10 o'clock in the morning, my phone rings and it's my sister-in-law, Sonia, and uh, my brother's wife. And I say, hey, Sonia, what's up? And she goes, she's very quiet. I go, Sonia, what's wrong? She go, I go, where's my brother? She goes, he's at the beach. I said, Sonia, what happened? She goes, they killed my nephew on the train last night. I go, oh my God, what time did this happen? And she goes, we don't know. So I proceed to tell her what happened with me, with my, how I woke up. So, make a long story short, I called Brooklyn um, Night Night Watch, Brooklyn Detective Bureau. No, no, I I called Brooklyn Homicide first, and they switched me to Detective Bureau Brooklyn, and I'm asking they have a homicide. They said, we have no homicide on the train. But then later on, the detective calls me. He says, listen, we don't have a homicide, but what we did was we found a body 700 feet from the platform on an elevated train in the tracks. We don't know how he got there. I go, okay, so what I do is I call my sister-in-law, I get dressed, I go to Brooklyn, I interview all his friends, I did like a police investigation. Right, right. I go interview his friends, and they tell me how, you know, they, they all left Coney Island, they were working, they all live in Bensonhurst. They left Coney Island, they went to his friend's house, they were playing beer pong, they were drinking, and they said Jonathan got a little bit um, cocky, so that, you know, they told him, you gotta either apologize or, or go to sleep, and he said, I'm gonna leave. So he leaves the apartment about 2.30 in the morning. They have video where he leaves. The girl walks down with him. The, 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 her boyfriend, they walk down. I was a little suspicious at first, thinking maybe the boyfriend had something to do with it because I know the girl had a... Um, she was an Albanian girl. Had a, her boyfriend was like a Polish guy. And um, and apparently the girl was best friends with Jonathan. So I was a little bit saying that the boyfriend is... It was yeah. a jealousy thing of what was going on there. But apparently it was nothing like that at all. 
So what happens now is Jonathan, the detectives show, tell me they see the video. 2.30 in the morning, Jonathan leaves. You don't see him again at all. I think that may, what may have happened was he may have fallen asleep on the street somewhere and then thought that he might still the be out. The guy was drunk, man. Yeah, oh, he was drinking shit. Hennessy or whatever. Oof. So um, apparently he was sleeping. He, he must have fallen asleep somewhere on the street. And now he, instead of going home, he was blocks from his house. He must have thought he was still at work, so he goes on the train. Mm. He goes to take the train when he was so close to home. Damn. So now they show me a video. At 3.57 in the morning, I see Jonathan come underneath the, turn, underneath the um, turnstile, which he would never do, apparently. The turnstile hits him on the head. He has his beats on. He's walking. Some Asian guy points at him and make, does like the crazy sign. And then what Jonathan go, does is proceeds to go up on the, on the platform, and he walks into the catwalk. And when the train comes, the train hits him. Whoa. He went in. But I heard, when I heard that mom, it's the time that he got hit. You know, and I haven't seen Jonathan in about how many years, like 15 that's, years. That's unbelievable. Right. But a lot of stuff like that happens. You know, a, a lot of stuff has, like that has happened to me on cases, like even with Adrian Shelley, yeah. um, after we got a confession on her case, I felt like a real cold chill in the back of my neck. And I felt like it was who, her. Who was Adrian Shelley? Adrian Shelley was an actress who was, um, I know the she case. Was, she now. was killed. Yeah. They made it look like a suicide, but it was actually a homicide. Didn't you guys find a, like a, a, boot a footprint? Print in, yeah. In the yeah. Jimmy Piccione found that, right? That, um, that's really interesting because that's, uh, you don't really see too often a staged crime scene. Right. And they staged the crime scene to make it look like it was a, a suicide. suicide. Right. And one, a, one of the guys working in the building killed her because she was complaining about the noise, right? He was actually, Robert, he was, he, she actually, the truth was he actually, she actually caught him in the apartment ripping off a wallet. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I didn't that's know what that. happened. Yeah. We found that out later on. Oh, she was the actress and they were doing the construction work, right? Right. Yes. Right, right. That case. Hey, listen, a long shot here, but um, I'm going to pitch you something, all right? Mm-hmm. I got a couple of working titles for the show that I want to produce for you. One of them is called Clairvoyant Detective. And if, if you don't like that one, then it's ESP Cop. ESP Cop, I like. I thought Ma- Madam Irma. Or, no. no, how about Cop ESP? Cop ESP. Or Detective Madam Irma. Madam. I, you know, I, think, I, think we all, I think we all have that gift. I don't. No, you have, everyone has it to I a think certain everybody has level. It. But, but I think working, I think working, I really, I think working around so many dead people mm-hmm. just made it different. Yeah. It really did. And I think I, my, my mother always had that kind of since we were little. And Sometimes that's a Spanish thing too. No, right? it's not don't Spanish you guys, thing. Don't you White guys, people get that shit too. Come on. Santeria. Don't you dance around <laughs> with candles see, and stuff? Stereotypical. <laughs> Come on. It's, it's, no, my mother doesn't. You know, we, my funny. family did not believe there in Santeria. Guy, there was a guy in the tooth free. He was a short guy, five foot two, and they used to call him Pistol Pete. <laughs> and he used to shoot everybody. <laughs> really? And everyone was terrified of this guy. His name was um, <coughs> McManus was his last name. <coughs> anyway, we what do you mean he used to shoot everybody? He was a drug dealer. Oh. People that worked his spot, he would just shoot them. But okay. he, he would shoot them in the legs because so he couldn't get charged with attempted <laughs> murder. One guy he shot nine times in the legs. Oh on God. different days or on one yeah, day? all different days. The guy was fucked up, though. Yeah, he didn't he know was. how to do his deal. But he, <laughs> and we let it be known out on the street. You know, I handed out my card that we were looking for him. Mm-hmm. So we, he's in the um, the, ho- the housing project on East 102nd Street between yeah, okay. Madison and I uh, forget the name of it. Carver I mean, Houses. Carver, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're here. He's in that apartment, right? So the door's open. We could smell weed. So boom, we go through the door. There he is smoking weed. But he doesn't have to gather anything. But I go into a statue, and it was a Santa Maria statue, and he has my name in it. Oh, oh shit. shit. But like all the detectives oh. in the two or three. But this was years ago. So he's putting there, a curse on you there was a, movie, there was a movie like that with Jimmy Smith in it. It was filmed in the two three. What was it called? Again, um, the believers. The believers. The believers. Yeah, they did. They did. I remember that. My, know, my friend that, was in I've that movie. Luck though, since they, then, so they filmed that in Central Park. Yeah, I don't think the Santa. You know something? 
It didn't That's, work, man. This is how I feel. If you're going to do bad on me, it's going to go right back on you, really. Yeah. I don't He's care. He's probably in prison, you know? Everybody. And I'm doing police off the cuff with Irma Rivera. Right. <laughs> I, no, I, I always say, everybody who's ever done anything bad to me, something has always happened to them. Well, of course. You know I how to do that stuff. Hex. You stick it, they you, name you, your shoe. You got <laughs> that. No, you got that Spanish hex that you can do that, you know. You know what it, it's not. You know, you know what it is. No, I th- it's not about. I think what it is. If you're if you're a good person yeah. and people try to do evil on you, it just goes right back on you. That's how I, I think you're right. It. I think that's called karma. It's called it? karma. Karma is a bitch. Yeah, it is. It is. No, payback right. is a. No, my 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 thing is payback is a bitch, but re- revenge is a motherfucker. <laughs> In Greek, they do like this. They spit twice. Uh, what's it called? Um, Suvlaki. Uh, uh, no, it's when you when you, when somebody's looking at you, even if it's with with smile in their face. Oh, you look so beautiful. And then they go spit like this. Well, Italians. What do you what do you do? What do you check and Dominican? That's some mixture. Yeah. No, Italians say revenge is a dish that is best served cold. Oh, I thought you were going to say with sauce on it. No, no. My father was very revengeful, my father. Was he? He taught us how to be revengeful. But you're not revengeful. I could be. You can be. Yeah, Uh-oh. yeah I could be. I'm not. I like to forgive and forget. I'm a big pussy. I don't want to keep revisiting stuff. I don't want to fight. I hate I confrontation. I, I, I did one thing once to a female cop that did something to me. Can I tell you the story? Sure. Yeah, yeah. tell us. We okay. love it. All right. I, I, was, love I, was, I was in two, I was in two, we'll three. We'll close out on this. This okay. is going to be yeah. good. I was in a two, three, and, and um, she, we, we were in NSU, and, and this girl was a little bit of a, she was a, a wimp, but she was a real fucking ratty type you know so she said this something to me in the locker room so what i did was i sat in my car and i was with carol o'malley and i called carol watch this and i and there was a big empty parking lot next to the precinct where the gas station is on 102 in lexington yeah, yeah. it was an abandoned lot and there was shit all over the place i fucking took a stick i dipped it in shit i put it on a fucking door handle and i sat in my car and i watched her walk to her car and she puts her hand on the car to open the door she i see her smell her <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> wow! wow yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm evil. We just figured this whole thing out. That now it all really, makes sense. Yeah, I have, I have a little evil streak. Uh, that was a little bit evil. So I'm not real. I'm not, not I'm not so evil, innocent. That so. was that was a little evil, but low east side evil. Low east side evil. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. you back evil. L-E-S. L-E-S. <laughs> well, she said East Village. East Village. East Alphabet City. Well, but that back in the day was Alphabet City. Yeah, Alphabet right? City. Come a long way. I mean, think about all the things that we talked about today. We talked about growing up down there. Uh, in, in East my Village. mother just died. My mother just died in the apartment. I was born May in that. She apart- rest in peace. I was born in that apartment. My mother died the day you got your hip surgery. Yeah, she did a good right, job right. with you. If I knew, but she if was I, ninety-two, right? Ninety-three. Ninety-three. If I knew, good skin, if, great if I knew, hip. if I knew you were having hip surgery that day, I would have given you my mother's hip. Oh, <laughs> oh that's shit. funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ninety-three-year-old hip. You're gonna yeah. do that. How tall was she? <laughs> Talk about walking with a limp. I would have been lopsided. I would have been way too lopsided. Yeah, we covered a lot of stuff, man. Growing up in the Lower side and then becoming a detective um, with the NYPDs boys, and, a great, a and a great and a great great detective nobody ever gave you nothing you earned yeah. all the little things that you said all these little tidbits these insights into really 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 good detective work man just fascinating fascinating stuff but you know there's sometimes when you tell these stories it's almost like you wish you could go relive some of them but you don't ever want to go back to the job no. you know what I mean but the time when you tell the stories you get gleeful and you almost get like wow, I, I, I miss the cases and one thing I do enjoy about the foster care cases is a lot of times it's like I still get to use my head uh, yeah. searching for people and social media is the best I mean I oh, find so many people on social media yeah. I mean social media I mean I have all these you know I don't have real pages to well, the tools, find the kids the tools you have now social media uh, electronics with the phone yeah that was brilliant what you did by sending engaging that person in the text message thing and engaging them in a way like 
something that they, they're going to re, they're going to respond yeah. to this. That's great. They, yeah. yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's I, I, think, I do that on a few cases. I even even uh, like I had a case not too long ago. Who's where, not going to answer that? They, people do. They Why are you fucking with my man? Yeah. Who's this? That's yeah. it. you're always going to answer that. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. But it's funny, you know. I mean, you, one thing. One thing that's sad is you learn so much and then you don't apply it anymore. Yeah, because it goes quick. The time on the job. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I'm saying? You don't realize how quick that time on the job is. And you mentioned something else. You, you mentioned about uh, when you worked at NYU, how you had an office, and um, that wasn't you. You'd like to be out in the street, and that's the thing about law enforcement. Uh, I always say this in my act too. I mean, I was a young guy, man. I didn't want to sit in an office. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? I wanted to be out knocking down doors, doing fun shit. You know. You know. I still. Do do some of my work in my car. I'll sit in my car. I'll park in a park and, so I, and I'll do my time. I'm yeah. so used to being in a car. I can focus really like good in a car. The car is your office. Yeah, you know, yeah that's amazing. I can focus better in a car. I never if thought in a, of that. Yeah, I, I, I always I remember from being in anti-crime for six and a half years, my lips were chapped the whole winter, right? From the heat being on in the car, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I like, yeah. I like, your lips I like, like being in the car. I, I, I still do it. I'm always in the car. I park my car in Van Cortland Park. I park it all by the train stations. I park, you know, Metro uh-huh. North. I sit there. I, I do my work on the weekends sometimes. You know, the things with this with this show and we're so far this is your, your episode 14 and 15 we're really proud of this show and not just our performance all the performance of, it, of all the unbelievable cops we've had it just keeps show. getting better yeah, I'm and glad, better I'm glad I came you know I, I, I was a little bit hesitant you yeah, know, I know you were but you no, Bill, some, Bill was bragging right about you there. you're a superstar no I'm not a superstar I mean, Bill on. was bragging about I work, you I work with a great team of detectives and I feel like the people that I work with are the ones who you know taught me a lot of course, I, I learned a lot from them no one does it by themselves yeah. people but, get better and John Morris, John Morris. I mean, if it wasn't for him, I would have never rose up the ranks the way yeah. I did. So no, we even talk about when Tommy Kennedy was here, who to me, he's one of the greatest cops uh, on the NYPD. And just like how when you're off duty, you feel so comfortable when you're with other cops. Mm-hmm. For some reason, you feel so yeah. safe. And, 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 and like you know, me, I, I mean, I grew up, I grew up with boys. So I'm very I'm comfortable with men. I'm more comfortable with men than I am with women because right. I, I grew up with boys. So it's you know the police department was always very easy for me. Sure. And there's one other sergeant I have to mention, um, Bruce Etheridge. He was my NSU sergeant. He was the best. He's the one who took me under his wing and told me. There was one girl in my NSU who had gotten arrested before, and she was older than us. He goes, stay away from her. Yeah. He told me, stay away from her. She's no good. Stay away. And he kind of, like, told he me. He guided you, yeah. He did, yeah. yeah. Look, we all, all right, listen, we, that's great. Unfortunately, we got to wrap it up here. Yeah, um, I, just, with her, I think we could stay here for two days. Yeah, this was great. This was great. I just don't want to. I don't know whether how we do on uh, with film should, or should, how we're we taping, have, but we should have one. Where, I don't want to run out um, of batteries. All the bad things we've done. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> we want to keep the pensions. That's right. That's right. All right. So all right. Um, thank you so much. Guys. First of all, before we even thank close you. it out, I just want to say thank you for coming, Irma. Yeah, you thank were great. You too. I know. I know it took a lot out of you to get here, but once you got here and, and you were like, "I'm shy." <laughs> <laughs> Irma, would you come back? Of course. Okay, yeah. yeah, we'd now love to have you back anytime. Anytime. Bill, any parting words? I want to thank Sean, who is a yeah. Sean substitute. stepped in. Thank you, Sean. And great job, Sean. Great job, and uh, no, I, I, you know, as I, I took me like five or six calls to Irma to get her to feel. Relaxed. Worth, worth it. Though. I said, watch our previous episodes. And I, I think actually, that put her at ease. You it made know? me laugh. I, I actually listen to them and laugh in my car when I'm yeah, driving. So there's a lot of funny uh-huh. stuff. And it, it, look, we're preserving the history of the NYPD through great cops. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, you can't tell your war stories, what who are you going to tell them to? Yeah. yeah, we originally sat here and it was just me and Bill, and we tried doing it a couple of times. Then we had Detective Pat come in. He's really funny. Porteous. And then I started noticing. Wait a minute. If we really do this right, we can memorialize great. 
uh, cops and then eventually first responders careers you know yeah. people who have done heroic deeds these stories of sometimes the family gets tired of hearing them your yeah. friends heard them a thousand times but <laughs> they should go somewhere they should they should have a life somewhere on their own and now forever we're going to learn we're going to be able to find out whenever we want how my, maybe great. my grandkids will hear this one day That's yeah right. yeah <laughs> they, exactly exactly they could hear your voice they could see your face and they can hear what a great great detective you were man absolutely thank an you. asset to the NYPD thank you um, the, uh, the NYPD was also an asset to my life yeah, to all of us. It's That's why we're here. Painted homage. No. That's why when, when my kids say something about cops, I go, "Freaking the cops pay your pay for yeah. everything. They yeah, yeah. college. They pay for everything. They That's pay for right. your room. That's right. You know? Everything." Yes. All righty. Well, on behalf of Police Off the Cuff, uh, once again, we want to thank Irma uh, Rivera, Miss Homicide, for coming in. <laughs> I hate Miss Clairvoyant. <laughs> Miss, uh, yeah, we uh, <laughs> No, what was it? Uh, clairvoyant Detective. <laughs> Madam Irma. <laughs> Madam Irma, uh, Clairvoyant Detective. That's right. ESP, ESP That's cop. That's show. She's got to get a yeah, call yeah, after yeah, the yeah. show we from networks. I want to yeah, be part. No, I want to be a producer. Heard, heard. Let me be the that. police consultant. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Thank you thanks, so Irma. much, guys. Thank you.